someone here tonight who is going to uh, uh, bless our socks off. Uh, I'm looking forward to him. His name is Dave Welch. I don't know if y'all remember back in Houston uh, when the city um, sued five pastors. Do y'all remember back then? And basically what they were doing was uh, they had the homosexual agenda thing going on, the, the gender identity, the bathroom thing, whatever it was. And they subpoenaed the sermons and records from five pastors in Houston. Dave Welch was one of those pastors. Now I want to tell you again, and it is always true, what Satan means for evil, God intends for our good. Because what ended up happening out of that, Dave was one of those who, who was targeted, and uh, my goodness, as a result of that, uh, the Houston Pastor Council, man, really took shape, and it took form. And man, they started to fight that thing back. And you know, uh, what they didn't realize they were doing is they were attacking these five pastors. What they ended up doing was they ended up solidifying and strengthening the backbone of the church in Houston. Yeah. And so churches, every denomination, pastors from all different races, man, they got together and what the enemy meant for bad, God meant for good. And man, they got a backbone and they started fighting back. It took a long time. If you ever want to hear his story, you need to find Dave Welch. If he gets his info, you need to go find it. Watch that story, what they went through. Man, it was uh, it was a lot. And they went through and he persevered. And out of, out of that, man, God changed Dave Welch. And before it was all said and done, turned him into the person that God wanted him to be. Not that he wasn't. Uh, where he was supposed to be. He was a pastor, but God had something else intended for him. Out of that, not only was he a part of, uh, uh, starting, uh, being a part of that uh, Houston Pastor Council, from that he started what's called the Texas Pastor Council. Um, and uh, he is also a part of se several other things. He is the founding executive director of Christian Coalition of Washington. He is the executive director of Vision America as well. Uh, and so, uh, my goodness, he's been a part of so much. And so we get the opportunity to be able to hear from him tonight. We are blessed, uh, as God has ordained it, to have with us tonight a man who is on the front lines of proclaiming the truth of God in Houston, in Austin, in Washington, and tonight in Hood County. If y'all would, join with me in welcoming Mr. Dave Welch. What a great time to be alive in America, isn't it? Some of you weren't thinking that, were you? What, do you think God put you here on accident? What's the matter with you? God didn't put anybody in there by accident, does he? You're here on purpose. You're here now in the United States of America in 2020 because God put you here. Right? Now, if we start with that, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? And so before we dive into this further, real briefly, I want to just thank, first of all, the great team here, the Hood County Pastor Council. And this is a work that began in the heart, I believe, of God because 
it began in the, in the prayer, the last prayer of our Lord. In John 14, and most of you who have heard, as John, as Christ shared with the disciples in the upper room in those last moments and led to, this, to the, the, the prayer in John 17, where he said, Lord, pray, he said, Father, let them be one as you and I are one, right? We want them to be one. Well, as you heard earlier, you just you said the church is not one. You know, we, we, we know the, the one of the, our national motto, e pluribus unum, which means what? Out of many, one. Well, unfortunately, if we can become a nation, it's, it's exactly the opposite of that. Our, out of one, we become many. And the church is too much like that as well. But the good news is that the good news is always true. And we serve a God who isn't asleep. He's not on the sidelines. He's actively engaged. And he's still here. And I, people began to ask us after our, I call it victory in Houston, it was God's victory. And we were asked, how did you guys do this? In fact, they asked the mayor of Houston after this was all over, the dust was settled. And this was a two-year battle, by the way, folks, that when we started, when the mayor first introduced her ordinance to go to city council, which was February of 2014, and the, the battle of the victory that one was one of the ballot box was in November of 2015. This spread throughout both of those years that it took to defeat this just bad ordinance. But somebody, a reporter asked her, and I'm sure, I'm sure this reporter is now in Siberia somewhere because they actually asked an intellectually honest question and said, Mayor, you're the first Oakland lesbian mayor of a major city in the South in the Bible Belt. You have the, the, the legal department of this major city on, on the third largest city in America behind you. You had the corporations behind you. You had the media behind you. Hollywood behind you. The president of the United States weighed in on her side. And, and he said, and you lost. What happened? <laughs> and her response was this. She said, they controlled the message and we couldn't get it back. How often does that happen in today's era? Yeah. Now, I say that because what that means is it's possible. And all we did, they kept trying to come. I had a New York Times, New York Times reporter called me two years after all this because they're still trying to figure out. This was going on in North Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida, and other places all over by this point. So, and, but what had surfaced out of all this was keep men out of women's restrooms. And it was devastating their side because this imagery was was impossible to defend, right? In most voters' minds. And they realized this was really hurting them. They traced it back to Houston. And they realized this that theme, that phrase, that theme started in Houston. And in fact, it was an, a point of legal contention because we had that slogan on our petition sheets, we circulated to gather signatures to put it on the ballot. And the, uh, the city actually challenged the fact that we had that on there, claiming that that biased the people's act of putting their name on the petition, and therefore it should be invalid. Now, go figure, right? But but the point is, so this reporter kept asking me, so who came up with that idea? Just, he wanted to know who thought of that idea. I said, look, what we did is we sat around our smoke-filled back room. 
most Christians, we had, maybe it was incense or something, I don't know. <laughs> we said, how do we tell the most awful part of this ordinance in the clearest and simple way that the average voter can understand? And that's what we came up with. Silence on the other end of the phone. What they couldn't come up, what they couldn't get their head around was, we were just saying, we've, we wanted to identify the worst part of this and tell it in the simplest way so the average person could understand what's really awful about this ordinance. And that, that was, well, that wasn't, the, honestly, that wasn't the worst thing, but it was the most clearly visible thing. Now, here's, here's where this is all coming down, down to, and I want to just get down to, to as my, one of my favorite people in the world, John Wayne, once said, let's get down to the rat killing. You know, there's, God called me into this area of ministry 35 years ago, and I just assumed, I didn't grow up in the church, but I assumed some certain things when I came to Christ, because I'm not a really smart guy, and I just figured when he, when I came to him, he was asking for all of them. But even I gave it to him, I'm still working on that, Pastor Jerry. But that meant that everything in my life was biblically called to now belong to Christ, right? It's not a complicated theological idea, but that was just kind of the way I approached this. And that included, by the way, my dad and, uh, and that era that I grew up in in the far northwest of, of the United States in this place called Washington State. Yeah, well, I was actually born in Seattle. I hate to admit that. <laughs> um, it's not my fault I left there. Look what happened. Um, but I grew up in a home that was a working class, blue collar, logger's home. In fact, it was worse than that. My dad was a logger and a sailor, so I learned to speak in tongues and it wasn't a heavenly language. <laughs> so that was my background. But he was also a patriot. My dad served in the Navy in the Korean War. His dad served in World War II. We had lineage going clear back to the founding of this country in our family that had fought in every war. And so I, there was a, a love for this country. My dad was one, a John Bircher, for those that are old enough to remember that. So I, and I loved to read. So I'd read all these things. I learned to love our, our country, learned to love our Constitution. And so when I came to Christ as a young adult, I realized, hey, this should be part of what we do. And then I ran right into the wall of separation. And I'm gonna just run a little course correction here and maybe challenge a few assumptions that some of us have and maybe step on a few toes tonight because that's why I'm called to do. Um, we've been too comfortable for too long in the church. Way too comfortable for too long. Francis Schaeffer called it the age of peace and affluence. Okay, but, but here's what it was. The wall of separation church and state and I ran into it I was like whoa what is this but the further right and of course again I'm one of those guys that I got a lot of scar tissue on my forehead because that's that's the way I get through things just running right? and but I realized along the way this wall was not put up by the ACLU this wall wasn't put up by the federal government it wasn't put up by those on the left it was put up by the church we don't do politics here. Yeah. We, we're, we're focused on ministry. Pastors, you all heard this, and I got a word for it, but I won't repeat it here. Okay? So I began to all of a sudden, and then I had to start stepping back going, are they right? I mean, is that true? Is this, this God doesn't care about all this over here? In fact, I literally had one of our deacons come to me 
and say, Dave, you've been, your name's been considered as to be part of, part of the deacon board. So if you're really serious about, you know, not, you know, being put, getting all in all that politics stuff and then focus on ministry, then, you know, then come talk to us. Pastor Jerry, I'm embarrassed to admit the language I used with him because I wasn't very well, I hadn't been very long redeemed yet. So um, I told him where he could put his offer. And because it offended me, and I didn't really know why at that point, but what it did was that and all the years after that where I began to, God called me to say, Christians, we need to be involved. And, and we went, you heard some of the things. God has called me to serve in every capacity, from precinct chair to a campaign manager to the state director, the national field director of Christian Coalition. But when he founded the Pastor Council in 2003, it was because of this one thing that I realized over the years. That no matter what we did on the political side, if the church didn't change, we were going to lose America. Right? It's not complicated. Paul Weirich, one of the leaders of the movement, said 20 years ago, he said, we are winning politically and losing the culture. And he was exactly right. Now, here's the thing I want to nail down. And those of you who didn't get a copy of this handout, there's some over on the table over here. I put some stacks on a few of the chairs. If you didn't get one, uh, folks, just raise your hand and folks pass them down if you have one of those stacks. I want everybody to walk out of there with this one tonight. It says, this church votes. Now, this is just a primer, and I'm not going to go through all this tonight. But what I'm going to give you tonight, folks, is more theological preparation on why we involve ourselves in self-governing than every pastor received in four years or six years or eight years of their seminary training. I promise you this. Every pastor in this country is untrained or mistrained in this area. And, and why is that? The enemy didn't leave the seminaries off of his attack plan to neutralize and minimize the knowledge of God's people of what our history is, right? The first attack point had to be scripture. That's the only, that's right. Look, I, I realized with me, I want to run through this a couple things. There are four scriptures I'm going to give you out of 18 we actually cover in what we call our Institute for American Christian Citizenship. It's a full one-day program we do for pastors. It helps reconnect the dots between scripture, history, and our role as American citizens. And we have a, a, a very detail that came out of the sequence of all of this realizing pastors don't even, most pastors, and I'll promise you this because this is, I've done this all over the country. Nine times out of ten, pastors get this one question wrong. I'm going to pick on pastors tonight, so pastors, you're going to take careful before you answer this. What are the first words of the Great Commission out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 28, 18? They okay, said, so when he said, go, you, you have the right answer. I heard it. All authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore. Why do you say that? There's a couple things I want you to remember if you remember anything else tonight that I said, which is likely. There's two things. Number one, there's a word that I want you to remember and go back and drill into. Because it's used 39 times in the New Testament alone. And all this politics, government, all this comes down to this one single word. Okay? You need to wait for me to tell you. And I'm not going to do that. Because the phrase I want you to remember before that is this. It's not politics. It's ministry. Okay? I don't ever want to hear this whole politics. We don't do politics. We do ministry. 
Okay, so repeat after me. It's not politics. It's, politics. it's Okay, I'm going to test on that again too before I finish out here. So remember that. Because why? Because he called it ministry. And there's four scriptures, so get this. There's four scriptures, there's four steps to voter mobilization, and there's four levels of citizenship. Four, four, four. Okay? So, number one, what is it? It's all about authority. So you heard, so here's one of them. Here's one of them. That was Matthew 20, 18. Authority. What does that mean? Let's jump back to Isaiah 9. That's a bonus scripture. We hear that at Christmas every year. The Messianic prophecy of Isaiah. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right? What's with this word government in the middle of a Christmas program? Right? I mean, the, these pastors aren't smart enough to met, realize they're messing up their own Christmas program when they quote that scripture, right? What is that? Why is that in there? Because he is the governor of all the universe. Right? So it starts here. Jesus said, affirmed it in the, in the Great Commission. All authority. Not some, not a little, not most, all authority in heaven and on earth, right? Next scripture, John 19.10. Now, I want you to be writing these down. Those are side notes on this. So give these to you to go back. John 19.10. You know that you've know that you heard this. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, what? Don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you? And what was Jesus' response? You would have no authority except that which has been given to you from heaven above, right? So he's, Jesus is standing there looking at the highest political authority on the planet at the time. He's literally looking at the representative of Caesar and saying, uh -uh, I gave it to you. That's right. And I'm allowing you to use that authority for this moment because I have a bigger plan than you, right? So, Jesus again asserted God's authority, superintending that of all governing authorities. Now, let's jump to Matthew, let's bounce back over to Matthew 8, verse 5. Most of you don't think about these scriptures in relation to politics and government. I want you to come back to this round because this will help you persuade your pastor that we should do ministry, not politics, right? So, what's, what happened in Matthew 8, verse 5? Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's a whole passage of power and truth shared. And then it says that he came to Capernaum. And when he came to Capernaum, he was approached by who? The centurion. Roman soldier. Roman leader soldier, right? And he said, what? I have a sermon who is in torment. And what did Jesus say? I will come and heal him. And what did the soldier say? That, oh no, you don't have to come because I also am a man under and I say go and he goes I say come and he comes and what happened next, I love this I love this imagery imagine we're standing right alongside we're standing around this crowd watching this and Jesus marveled Jesus marveled and he said what now I call this the biggest slap down of the first century but you can call which one. But Jesus is surrounded by his disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and these other folks that are falling at this point. All the religious people of the plant, you know, of the time, right? And he looks at this Roman soldier and says, 
That's the greatest faith I have found in Israel. Ouch. Ouch, ouch. Now, what did that Roman soldier get that all these religious folks didn't get, including his disciples yet? That he was God. And that God had authority over the laws of nature and just said, speak the word. And that authority carries over and heals my servant over here. Well, that's called faith, right? And that's how we ought to live, isn't it? To believe, and it says it's impossible to believe God unless what? Unless we believe he is and he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. So here we have a, a picture of faith expressed by a Roman soldier who understood authority. And by the way, the Greek word is exousia. It's the same word in these different areas. Okay? Now jump over to Romans 13. Everybody in the picture. Okay, Romans 13 is a passage about government. It says, be subjected to those in exousia because so for all, all, all authorities are ordained by God. Yeah, they got it, right? Now, what does it say after that? Down further, should you go down in all, all these verses into down into seven? It says, because it is a minister of God for your good. Nobody thinks of government as a minister of God for your good, right? We think of it like Ronald Reagan said, I'm for the government and I'm here to help, <laughs> right? But God ordained governing authority as a minister from him for the good of who? Those who do right. And he says, do you want to not be afraid of those in authority? Then do what is right, because it is also minister of good, also a minister of wrath, right? And does not bear the sword for nothing, folks. So here's the imagery, and I want to leave you with this on this point, folks. So the authority of God to govern, which we know flows from the throne of God to the law enforcer. He's saying, I'm given that law enforcer, that's what Roman soldiers were, carried swords, right? The authority to do that and wield that sword for the purpose of protecting the innocent and punishing those who do evil, right? That's what it says. I don't care if you like it. He wrote the book, Argue With Him. Pastors, that, you can call it politics, call it whatever you want. Who wields governing authority? Government. Now, here's the trick part. Where does the authority come from God to get to the law enforcer? Okay? Now, we don't carry swords anymore. Our law enforcement officers don't carry swords anymore. What do they carry? Now, if I were in other settings, I would do what I did the first time I used this illustration. I would actually pull up my own, which I'm carrying, and put it right here. Because I would want you to see, and I want you to think of this, there's Ollie Frank back here in his, in his holster. Some of you are carrying. That's the image of God's authority to govern. Now, how does that authority get from the God to that officer? Okay, where does that officer get the authority to wear the badge and carry that gun? Well, he gets it from his agency, his entity, which is whether it's the police department, but he gets it from the chief. Chief gets it from the city council. The sheriff's department, the sheriff is elected by the people. Okay, let's, so let's go back to that point. Where does that sheriff or the police chief or the city council get that authority? Where, where do they get it from? Who puts them there? Oh, 
We the people. Oh, oh, ouch. That means that from God to the gun is the people right in the middle of it. So forevermore, forevermore, what I want you to have the image in your mind every election, because here's how we do it. Voting is the transfer of God's authority with lethal force to another person to exercise justice on his behalf. That's what voting is. Did you know that? We've all had the wrong reasons for voting. Most of our lives, most Christians are selfish in their voting. Right? I'm not even going into all of our history. This has been wonderful. I love this. And it is absolutely true. Everything you've heard tonight, it's powerful. But I realized one, one day along the line, too, that if I couldn't start with Scripture and end with Scripture, I could not go to a pastor and say, you need to do this. And if I could do that reasonably, that pastor no longer had ever had an excuse not to preach, teach, lead, and make sure their people exercise their citizenship faithfully, without fail. Every election, every ballot measure, every election position, right? Because here's the thing. I'm going to close this out with this. And, and some of this information, just review this. Get some good scriptures. You have a lot more on our website. But every one of you in your room, in this room, everybody you know, everybody in every church is going to vote this election. Did you know that? Everybody. 100% turnout. And there's four ways you're going to do this. So remember the gun? So think of this. You all got one. You're carrying that loaded weapon. Because when you turn 18 in this country, or you become a naturalized citizen, you're given this lethal authority. So you got your gun. Now, election time comes. You go, well, you know what? I'm busy doing the Lord's work. I'm involved in missions. I gotta take care of my family. I run a business. I don't have time for all this. I'm not gonna register, I'm not gonna vote. So what you're doing is you're filing the serial number off, wiping it off the prints, and taking your gun that's loaded with a full clip and throw it in the street. Does the gun go away? What happened? It's called you just abdicating control over a loaded weapon. Who's gonna pick up that weapon? We call him the enemy of our souls. What does he come to do? Steal, kill, destroy. Okay, that's the one, number one. Number two is, guess what? You're gonna go, well, you know what? I'm gonna be a little more responsible. I'm gonna register my weapon. Yes, Frank's registered. Okay, so I'm gonna register. But you know what? Man, election time's coming up, but things are so busy. And kids are in school, they're in activities. I go, I just don't have time to go vote. Guess what you just did with your gun again? Okay? Doesn't go away, you just put it right out there. Now, three is, well, you know what, I'm more responsible than that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go give my gun to somebody. So I'm gonna look around and go, well, let's see. Who's the same skin color as I am? Who looks good? Who sounds good? Who has the best campaign commercial? Who's gonna promise me the best job? Lower my taxes, do something for me. All right, sound familiar? You, you realize that's how actually how most people vote, that do vote? How's that working? You tell me. And I'm including in Texas, by the way, and being from Washington, I can pick on Texans. We've been here for 20 years, and I'm glad to be a Texan. But folks, if we don't get busy down here, it's gonna look like that. Because when I lived up there, and I grew up up there, it didn't look like that. So, okay, so now, here's number four. So we, we've, we've ascertained one, two, or three are not God's way. Well, let's go to four, what is that? That's what's for the scripture again. Exodus 18, 21. That's where Jethro goes to Moses and said, hey, 
Moses, this looks like the Department of Motor Vehicles. The lines are from morning till night. It's wearing you out, wearing the people out. It's not right. So here's what you do. You go to the people, among the people, and you choose. Moses, I mean, yeah. So, and you choose. Don't, don't just grab 10 men, right? You don't just ask for volunteers. You go and you select able men who fear God, who love the truth, who hate dishonest gain. And then you place them over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens. You keep, you're the Supreme Court. You keep the toughest cases for yourself. You delegate. But the standard started with, which, why did God give Moses a standard? Why did he give us a standard? Because that scripture, as we well know, is part of the canon of scripture and it's applicable to all people of all times. So here's the issue. Just think for a minute. Visualize with me for a minute as we close out here. What if, what if every Christian sitting in every church in this country that teaches the Bible did number four instead of one, two, or three? What would our city councils, our school boards, our county commissions, our state legislature, you name it, all the way up, what would it look like? Does that mean we're trying to reach a euphoria, reach a utopia, reach a perfection, redeem the country through government? Of course not. You can't fix that if the heart's wrong to start with, right? Remember that, for those, that first criteria? Able men who fear God. But here's the issue. I had a pastor turn to me in the middle of the battle with Houston, and this is kind of his first experience with this, and he, looked, he, he was listening to the city council members of Houston, the third largest city in America, largest city in Texas, right? He looked around at me and he said, I could tell he was really struggling with saying this, because he's a nice guy. He looked at me, these are the dumbest people I've ever been around. <laughs> I mean, it really pained him to say that. He was just making an observation. He was, and, and I said, well, welcome to governed by stupid. Because <laughs> that's what the people chose to put in those seats. Now, Here's our question today, folks, and going forward. We gotta pray, and we gotta reach people because at the end of the day, there is no saving America if we don't save Americans, as Pastor Robert Jeffers says. There's no redemption outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The transforming power of changing from light to dark, as you heard today, the wickedness in the hearts of all mankind. The only thing that changes that is still the first work of the church. But then, God doesn't just whisk us up and you know, beam us up, Scotty. Right? He leaves us here to do the work. What is the work? To continue to do his work. And while here, he's put government in place to say, we're, in the meantime, while there's wickedness and sin here, while my people are here and others that are innocent, we're going to put this entity in place to protect the people and to make sure the life, the property, and the freedom of the innocent is protected. In this country, for the first time since the ancient Israel uh, people, ancient Israelites, rejected God and chose a king in 1 Samuel 8. From that moment until 1776, when that document was signed, self-government was lost to the earth. You know what they did? God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, read this, it's great. He says, Samuel, don't be discouraged. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. When they said, we want a king, because remember before this point, it was king, king people. I mean, God, God people, through the prophets, through the judges. But it was straight line. And they said, no, we want, we want to put a man in the middle of this. And we're going to give that man all his authority. 
And by the way, continue reading in 1 Samuel 8 because God tells the people what you get when you get come to the king. It's great. It's a great lesson. But the point is, folks, so our call going forward here is that in this country, to be free and to pass freedom on, to live our lives in posterity and peace and share the gospel and live the gospel to our children and grandchildren costs us something. And this is my third closing, right? Okay. This is finally it. Because I, I shared. By the way, I, I have known Bishop Jackson long enough that I call him Earl. Okay. So, but so the next speaker is one of the most, most dynamic leaders and speakers in America and pastors. And I love this man. We worked together for way too many years. Um, God brought us together some years ago when we were with the Christian Coalition. But I. In, in 2002, I walked my son, my oldest son, down to the court, down to the federal building in Houston. Walked him in, and I walked out without him. Because I watched him raise his right hand and take an oath to the United States Constitution and handed him over to the United States Marine Corps. Uh, and I walked out of that building, and something struck me like a lightning bolt. And I wanted to ask you this tonight. Thank you. We're all here and we're all reasonably healthy. None of us have given our lives yet. But I, I realized because God pierced my heart and said, what are you willing to give your son's life for? Because that's what I just did. So today, and everything, everything that we've ever loved is on the line right now. So going forward out of here, and God gives us the grace for more years, whatever happens doesn't matter. As long as we have breath, that our charge is to be faithful in making sure that we take his responsibility, his authority, and we exercise it judiciously and give it only to the godly and contend diligently with the wickedness and do the work of the church in the meantime. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you for all that you're doing. Would you please bow your heads? Lord, 400 years ago, our forefathers, the pilgrims, made a covenant with you as they landed on our shores. In 1789, Washington renewed that promise, and in 1863, Lincoln reiterated on it. As individuals, we are to make a covenant with you. As families, we are to commit ourselves to that effort. As communities, we are to support one another in action. And as a nation, we are to reaffirm our, our promise. You said, as it, you said it is our duty to stand up to evil, no, no matter where it originates from, nor how terrible or deceptive it might be as if this is the only way to put it back firmly in its place. Help us to do that. Uh, help us to do what is right in your eyes, Lord. Help us to be there to make a difference for your children. Amen. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the wonderful speakers that you brought. And thank you for the folks who are here, who are single-minded. Thank you that they have the courage and they have the desire to, to fulfill your call in their lives. We praise you for it, we thank you for it, and we thank you for the victories that are ours in the future because of what is taking place tonight. And it is in Jesus' name that we claim this and we thank you for it. Amen.